0: Hi there, and welcome back to Africa Science Focus. I'm Fiona Broom, and this week I've got a special episode for you from the 2021 United Nations Climate Summit, COP26. This year's climate talks are seen by many as the last chance to secure real action to limit greenhouse gas emissions and stop the planet heating by more than 1.5 degrees. The COP this year is a very different event to previous years. There are less people as UK travel restrictions require that all travellers have two doses of an approved COVID-19 vaccine. And as we know, vaccination rates in the poorest parts of the world are extremely low. In some countries in Africa, just 2% of the population has received two doses of vaccine, compared with up to 80% in wealthy countries. The World Health Organization said just last week that not one country in sub-Saharan Africa will hit the target of vaccinating 40% of their people by the end of this year. But I'm here with one person who has managed to make the trip from Africa, and we're really lucky that she has made the journey because it's so important that her voice is heard at this global event. So I'm walking down the corridor in what is called Zone D, in the blue zone, at COP26 and I'm just looking for Ineza Grace in the crowd. Here she is. Hi, Ineza. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. I'm talking with Ineza Grace from Rwanda. Aye, aye, aye. All right. You're going to check if you can hear me? Yeah. OK. Ineza, we're here at COP26, which is the conference of the parties to the United Nations climate change convention. This is your third time at a COP, I think.
1: Yes. I'm participating among the Rwandan youth delegates who are invited by our country to follow the negotiation to be able to understand the process, but with the main purpose of how can we better contribute as youth in order to have a climate ambition future for ourselves. So is the idea that you take some of that learning home with you? Yes so that we can feed into uh, country ambition of climate action because, as you know, our country is one of the first country that submitted an ambition, NDC, and then um, once one of the consultation stakeholders, youth are included, that's why we're here.
0: What's your experience been here at COP26? What do you think about some of the pledges that are coming out? Do you think enough is being done? Do you think the results will be positive? For me, I would say first,
1: there's this uh, understanding that some leaders, especially from the global north, they are trying to come up clean from the media where they are stepping up because now more than ever everyone is aware that uh, the climate inaction is doing an injustice, especially in the global south. But when you're looking technically in, uh, in the negotiation or the process that will be undertaken to achieve a climate justice, there's no such thing as a big progress One of the facts that I can give, for example, is loss and damage is the biggest injustice that we are facing. And one of the established mechanisms to address this one under this uh, international uh, conference is the WIM. And we just had a session and the overall progress of the WIM that we reported is enough because they are failing, especially on their third component, which is on... uh, um, ensuring uh, access or action and support and finance for countries to address the impact of loss and damage or climate change.
0: You're a member of the Loss and Damage Youth Coalition and you also created another organisation, I believe?
1: Yes, I I am a co-founder and co-director at uh, Loss and Damage Youth Coalition. We started in summer 2020. So the Loss and Damage Youth Coalition is simply a coalition of youth around the world where we only have one single demand which is uh, achieve climate justice. And for us, we know the only way to achieve climate justice is for global leaders to actively take action to address loss and damage. So we do this by pressuring global leaders by giving out, uh, for example, open letters. We have sent a couple of one to the EU. Uh, to the COP26 presidency and to the United States of America and we also have our COP26 demand or statement because the one we're going to deliver if the COP26 is a success or fair to us and we also do trainings because we also want to ensure that youth across the world know, have information about what's loss and damage and most importantly on how each and everyone can take action regardless of where you are located or the background you have in education and we also want to bring at the fair front the lived experience of the Frontier youth when they are exposed to climate change and this storytelling component is really uh, important because it also showcases the fact that the youth in Canada are facing the climate change similar to the youth in Senegal similar to the youth in Rwanda, which makes us understand that the climate change is uh, something that is happening to all of us and it has no borders. And the only way we are going to come out safe, if I could say, if we work together. And this component of working together in a non-tokenistic manner is something that the youth nowadays understand. But when you look in the global uh, diplomacy or institution, how they're established, uh, there's still some work to be done.
0: Ineza, I've heard you speak before about the impact of climate change on your community and also on young people around the world. You speak with real passion. Tell me how is climate change impacting young people and how do you see it affecting your futures? For example uh, I can start by giving uh, the fact that I myself
1: was exposed to the climate change impact uh, when I was still younger but I didn't know it was climate change because I just have that memory of waking up in the middle of the night uh, to save my life. My mom was the one who woke me up because intensive rainfall associated with wind destroyed my house sinning and when I grew up, I wanted to be an uh, electrical engineer or pilot because I, uh, I really liked it so much. But when I finished high school, that's when I, uh, I saw on the news uh, that uh, a particular area in, uh, in my country, uh, people were forced to move because erosion and flooding were hitting their area seeing that many of the affected community of people are moving, where children and women, it just reminded me of how I felt powerless when I felt that one. So I changed dramatically, and I want to study environmental engineering. So coming to your question, uh, so loss and damage for me uh, is something that is costing my future. For example, my country is a least developed country, and we are doing very little contribution in the greenhouse gas emission. But when you look on our economy, it's really at the front line to the impact of climate change. Our country lost more than 4,000 hectares of land. This is cropland where people cultivated to have food for their household or for their social economy development. And our country being a landlocked country, our GDP contribution agriculture sector is one of the key pillars. We practice rent-fed agriculture. So, when we are talking that we lost 4,000 hectares of land, this means we lost our GDP, we lost our means to ensure that our community will be able to face tomorrow. And this flooding was coming after we have a very long time of drought. It's really translating the fact of not having a hope for a future because we are here because we want to go back home for example and say to our community now you can rest assured we have come to a solution you can uh, you can cultivate your land and if it's going to be destroyed there's an international mechanism that is able to support you but whenever i'm in the room you can hear the frustration because developed country small island country have been making their demand clear for ages but we are in 2021 and people are denying all the system is denying and I don't want to blame anyone because I know everyone has their parts to play in the role but I just we do deserve a future and there's no way we're going to have a future if we keep
0: doing the business as usual. You've talked about a few elements there, the impact on agriculture and futures for young people. Is climate change playing into other issues in sub-Saharan Africa such as peace and security? Don't want to respond, I will, try, I, will, I will draw back to what I read in the past. The
1: Sahel region is one of the regions where we have a lot of conflict. But when you look clearly, the reason why people are fighting is because they want assurance of life. They want to have access to a land that is fertile enough to provide them with food. So if uh, the climate change impact in that particular region is increasing, the a level of a fight or like a, a misunderstanding between community increases. Yes, so climate change impact can be associated with the level of peace in the country, but also education is also another part of it. Because when you look at Africa in general, we are all at the front line. I mean, everyone, but some communities are more
0: vulnerable than the others. What role do women play in the solutions for climate change, particularly in sub-Saharan African communities?
1: Uh, so women in sub-Saharan African uh, community, first of all, they are heroes because uh, uh, they did manage and they still manage to live Uh, in a country or in the area where uh, we are still facing uh, the challenge to go to fetch uh, water at a very long distance or fetch woods. But we don't give up because women do have that sense of nature protection, if I can say. Uh, But when you look in the decision-making process on the national level, I'm blessed to be coming from Rwanda, a country where uh, women's voices are much more um, highlighted and empowered and enhanced in a sense, but for some countries, there's no women to take decision or to influence decision, which makes that most of the solutions that are taken are not gender responsive. And if a solution is not gender responsive, there's a community you are leaving behind. So it's not a just solution. So uh, the role of women in this one is to speak up and demand space. And, and then also create a common, uh, um, I say like common community among, the, among ourselves, because we do stand, if we stand together, that's when we are strong. and we also need to demand because it's our future. And uh, the fact that you also carry children in a sense, so we have to, the, the right to give them a proper future.
0: There have been some really amazing women here, your sisters from Africa, who've been here this past week. For example, Elizabeth Wathuti from Kenya. Some fantastic voices, especially from young women from Africa. Is there a particular power with younger women in Africa?
1: Yes, because the particular power is that now we we are not scared to speak. Uh, we know the power of uh, one voice, and we are using our voice to demand change. And this is done regardless of which, whichever community you are coming from, or social, or cultural barriers you are facing. Everywhere, in every place, women want to speak up. And when a woman speaks, another woman listens, and all together we stand up. So that's a kind of a motto that I, I go around on. I, I don't know if someone else follow that one, because I'm like, even if I enter the room, I need to speak so that a fellow female who is in the room will feel uh, encouraged to speak up
0: to.: It highlights the importance of having role models for girls and younger women.:
1: Yes, yes, because uh, we, be, we grew up, I don't know, I don't know how to say it, but we grew up picturing that uh, Superman was uh, the main hero. And, uh, uh, and also like, like the men in the room are the ones to take a decision. Uh, so, the, For me, for example, I had to, go, to do a very good exercise on my mindset to realize that uh, women equal power because I was uh, in the section of uh, knowing that women equal uh, keeping your mouth shut and do as you are told. So I believe that the now Africa is rising because women, whichever country they are located to, they are speaking up and they are taking space and they are creating hope. Because when, when I see my colleague from uh, Kenya speaking up, that's, uh, or like uh, Vanessa Nakate from Uganda. So when I see those kind of women speaking, speaking up, it's a sense of hope, because I'm like, if they can do it that way, I can do so this way, then we'll meet on the, on the, on the, on the focus end, end line, which is a prosperous future for each and everyone in equal and equitable manner.
0: That's Ineza Grace, one of Rwanda's youth delegates here at COP26. And that's all the time we have here on Africa Science Focus. To find out more about Ineza Grace, head to www.scidev.net. That's www.scidev.net. You can also catch up on all Africa Science Focus episodes on your favorite podcast app. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis with reporting from me, Fiona Broom. Africa Science Focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio station. See you again next week. This program was funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York.